Nightmares podcast. We are sociologists who talk horror films. Some of the fun of of horror is there is such an open field to play in with the genre. And I am fortunate enough to have a friend and a colleague who is willing to take the field uh, with me. I'm Laura Patterson. Marshall and I both have our PhDs in sociology from the University of Colorado. And I love horror films largely because they allow us to talk about all the bad things in life and the unpleasant emotions and the things that I think people really need to spend more time discussing and connecting on and finding communality in um, instead of pushing away and pretending they're not there until they affect you, in which case you sit around in the corner and get all depressed by yourself because there's nobody there for you. So yeah, horror lets us do that. And in the spirit of commune and community, we watched a film that we completely disagreed on (laughs) about as strongly as we've disagreed about anything in quite a while, which is great. We watched Come to Daddy 2019. Apparently it's a fantastic fest, something that's connected with Alamo. It is... The synopsis from IMDb is a man in his 30s travels to a remote cabin to reconnect with his estranged father, starring most notably Elijah Wood, directed by Ant Timpson, and written by Toby Harbord from an idea by Ant Timpson. There will be spoilers in this film for the film. I don't think we spoiled anything else. I don't think we did. But it was it was fun. We've had a couple episodes, if you've been listening where we were just summarily unenthused about the film to the point of one which we didn't even record an episode for. And this, I at least felt like, was very much a return to form where we had things to say. We appreciate you joining us. If you're listening, reach out to us. We are on Instagram at Collective Nightmares. And our entire backlog of episodes is up on CollectiveNightmares.com or on Spotify or your iTunes podcast app. We're going to talk about Come to Daddy. So, context-wise, it's snowing pretty good outside. Laura is from Florida? Kind of. I mean, Ohio, technically, but I didn't start driving until a year before I left Ohio. Okay. And it's uncomfortable driving, and so really, what can I do? I can't can't compel her. So we we drove up to her place uh, in the cold and snow, and we're going to go do some... uh, some, some donuts in the parking lot after this to get Laura a little more comfortable. And I was willing to make that drive because of one particular thing that Laura said, which was, I really want a podcast. That movie was good enough that we should talk about it. And so this movie will be a good podcast because I hated this movie. It was worthless. It was garbage. Elijah Wood has no business, no excuse to make such a worthless movie. It was a throwaway, 
you know, the wind was boring. Tale of Two Sisters was boring. It was tedious. Turned it off, didn't hold my attention. But I didn't hate it for making me sit through it. It was worthless. It offered me nothing on any level. It was just, I have no, no appreciation. I have watched Elijah Wood since he was like a little child in like, whatever it was, the Chocolate War, the war, and in Perfect World with Clint Eastwood. I've been a fan. This was just like, dude, okay, I understand. You've got more money than you know what to fucking do with. But don't just shit it down the toilet. Don't just throw it away. There's people with scripts who want to make something that has some sort of value. I mean, at least the win, there was like some sort of earnest effort to try to do something, even if they failed at it. But he has no business failing at a movie at this level after being in, in Hollywood for 30 fucking years. Jesus fucking Christ. So please. <laughs> okay, wait. First of all, yes, I really liked it. So this will be please fun. Please help me understand. Yeah, this will be fun. I'm looking forward to hearing how you possibly could have enjoyed. Okay, second though, were you, were you bored? Yes, I was. I was totally bored. I had zero interest in anything that was happening until the cavern, subterranean hatch they found. Then it's still, and then it was just like, it was just like, what was it? Uh, in uh, Hansel and Gretel, it was like, oh, there's this moment where it could possibly get interesting. Nope. Hansel <laughs> <laughs> Gretel was more interesting than this. At least it was pretty. This had much, oh my God. It was just, and I'm keyed up because of the whole thing with drama in my life. But I was, you didn't feel me like tapping my feet? Because I was just like, just trying to hold my tongue till I could get on the microphone and just talk about what this fucking movie was. I felt during the film like you didn't want to be there. Yeah. I did feel that just, just like seeping off of you. I don't know how one can feel that, but I very distinctly did feel that. But well, yeah, that was... <laughs> reason. So tell me, please, I, I, I'm very curious now. This is at least will be a fun podcast because we finally disagree on something. We had a very different experiences. And I'll say this just to just to sort of further stoke the disagreement here. That <laughs> one thing I was thinking during this film was, wow, in contrast to Knives and Skin, I feel like this is a film that had a point and also was fun to watch instead of just like having a point and then just being a drag to watch. And I thought, oh, this is so much better. <laughs> this is so much better. And in some ways, I felt like they dealt with a concept that would appeal to you. So, what was, what was the message? Okay, so I thought it was about, I, I was very tempted to say toxic masculinity. And I guess I mean toxic. The toxic part is the part I think I'm emphasizing and saying that in this, the way that it sort of bleeds into the lives of people around that and sort of eats them up and sucks them in. And you have Elijah Wood, who is this character who's being pulled into this life with his dad. He doesn't really know anything about him. His dad apparently has been living this sort of problematic life, right? And Elijah shows up for, I think, very positive, sentimental kind of reasons. Like, oh, he's my dad. Maybe we can have some kind of relationship. Elijah's clearly very not hegemonic masculinity, right? And they make a point to point out that he's not on several occasions. And and I did notice his little like purse thing and whatever when it started. Like he's just very much not that. And he starts idolizing Elton John and whatever. He did he did a lot of things at the beginning to I think signal that he was representing a different form of masculinity. And when he walks in with who we think his dad is, that dad very much 
embodies the opposite of that. Oh, well, if you're going to impress me, tell me how you got in a fight. And, you know, he drinks way too much. And Elijah has apparently had trouble with that, but stopped it. And he's a good counterpoint for that type of masculinity slash recklessness, I would say more broadly. And you get the conflict with the not dad at the beginning actually stands up and pretty much yells at him for being a woman. You're not the right kind of man. And because of that, you know, I hate you. Why would I love you? Why would I want to, you know, I wish you were dead. And Elijah doesn't, he doesn't ever let that take him over. I mean, even when the police show up, right, he's very much presenting his, who he thinks is his father in a sort of positive light. He writes artist on the coroner's form. He talks to the policeman and says, oh, no, no, there was no conflict. There was no, he's not going to get pulled into that fight, basically. And he's there still for like emotional reasons. He calls his mom. And I liked the progression through that part, but I'm stepping away from ideology just for a second to say that I really liked that it felt like a horror film. And so I kept thinking exactly how they set it up, that like the dad was going to come back to life. Like he wasn't really dead. And they shot it that way. Like Elijah's on the phone and the dad's in the background and you expect him to get up. You expect him to try to hurt him. There's this threat, but the threat doesn't ever, that didn't pan out. But to me, what it felt like was that the threat was that sort of influence that the dad, this fake dad, right, was having. And when Elijah goes down into the basement and then his real dad, it turns out, was friends with this guy and they're all kind of wrapped up in the same thing. And you get the sense that the real dad may or may not and probably may not have actually invited Elijah for because he wanted to heal their relationship. Instead, he wanted something out of him. And Elijah did it. He showed up, I think, for these, again, kind of positive reasons and just gets sucked immediately into this mess. And suddenly he's having to kill people and he's having to engage in all these kinds of behaviors that he's, his character is actively trying to resist as a person, but he still gets pulled into it. And and that's why I say like the toxic nature of it, the fact that it's leading out and influencing other people in his life, even when they don't want, they purposely try to separate themselves from it. And I felt like that was the, that argument was like the trajectory of the film was watching him have to deal with the repercussions of standing too close to somebody who was engaging in that kind of behavior. And then the fact that he was his son kind of fit in a way, because the only thing that kept him sort of tied to that, if everybody had just let the dad go and he was gone and there was no sentimental tie to him and, you know, it was like, okay, you're a problem, whatever, you're just out of the picture and we're living our lives, that would be fine. But because he was his father and because there was this idea, right? That that's supposed to mean something, even though he hasn't been in Elijah's life at all. That connection sort of makes him still tangentially important to their life. And even that sort of weak, weak connection and maybe un maybe that kind of connection that you maybe you would argue shouldn't have. It's sentimental without any grounding. You know, what Elijah really wanted was a father. And instead what he got was this mess. And that even being sort of attached to that because that's you're the only dad you're going to get or something like that was just problematic for Elijah's life. And I thought it was really meaningful then too when Elijah and the dad were walking on the... They, I think they were walking toward the beach at some point later. And the dad specifically is talking about one of the other guys that he was involved in all this mess with. And he says, oh, his son, you know, he tried to slit... Or he slid his wrist in the bathtub. Which I thought was a very noticeable... That was obviously meant to be a corollary with Elijah's story. And the idea, again, being that, you know, what he wanted in terms of influence from his father was a father and someone who was loving and someone who was there and cared for him. And instead, what he got was a very stereotypical, like, protector, you know, in the sense that he provided... Look, I provided you had a house in Beverly Hills and money and just a bunch of masculine crap, right? All this sort of status chasing that didn't mean anything. And that that was, again, just hurting the lives of everybody who was not 
that way around them, including killing their sons. I mean, almost killing Elijah and then still getting Elijah sucked into this whole thing, threatening the life of the mom was now in danger. You know, just how, how all of this sort of bled out and caused a lot of problems, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to hear you. I'm trying to hear you. I think I've mentioned this before, but it's been a while. And then since the new semester, I've revisited it, which is the difference between weak sense critical thinking, which is where you're listening to something just with the intention of how you pick it apart, versus strong sense, which is where you're really taking it in and trying to evaluate it and compare it with what you think you know and take what's worthwhile. And I'm really struggling to do that because <laughs> I had such a I had such a resentment, and it's it's built up. We've had this string of movies that have been unimpressive and we made the stretch today to fit this in and I wanted to see it. There was a point in the film where I was like, can I blame Laura for watching, for us being here to watch this movie? I was like, no, nope, I can't blame her. I'm in this too. I'm, I, I like Elijah Wood. I wanted to see it. It's fantastic fest, whatever, something, selection. And Elijah Wood did, has the whatever production company where he was trying to do unknown or underknown horror yeah and a, a lot of them with, i don't remember what the production company is called i meant to look that up on the way here and i got sidetracked by the snow and so yeah. i forgot which is funny that i can't remember because i was obsessed with their production yeah. company because i wanted them to produce my screenplay right. for so long and now the fact that i can't remember is really well, somehow good. sad it'll come to me eventually okay what do you want me to do? do you want me to should i work through your concepts here and see if we can piece that together or can i punch out my issues first maybe we should start there it was with you punching out your issues okay <laughs> okay <clears throat> in no particular order if you have a phone that is made of gold regardless of whether it's some artist or whatever and you drop it into the sea go get your fucking phone just go get it it doesn't have to work. Yeah, he's got a phone. So that wasn't the issue. It wasn't the poor, oh, now we don't have a phone. I can't contact anyone. You can still contact. But go get it. It's a chunk of gold. It's not like it fell into the abyss. It fell into the edge of the fucking uh, beach. It doesn't just drop it in the Mariana Trench. Go pick it up, dude. I mean, give me a fucking break. You went swimming and you won't go get it? Okay, uh, two of the three women characters in the film were prostitutes. Precious and Mom. And then the other was a, was the coroner. Hey, whoever wrote this, I don't, I don't have the pleasure. Women do things other than prostitution. <laughs> Two-thirds of the women in the world are not prostitutes. It's just not how things work. Why have the scene with the cop? Only black man in the film? Nothing. Nothing. You know that there's a cop in town. You know that you can call him. You find this thing in the bottom of your uh, house that's obviously bizarre and disturbing. You know the cop trusts you because you have happy eyes or whatever the fuck. Call the cop. Don't just wander down into the trench or into the thing. Or if you do, if you do, how about you go down there and unlock the thing and take your dad back up? 
Instead of standing around and I don't know what the fuck they were doing. Well, didn't he try to do that though? Like, didn't he? He went down there and then as soon as he got down there, they had what a 30 seconds of dialogue and the dad's like, oh crap, close the door. They're here. They're going to kill you. Get in the closet. Hi. What's the, so, the door? How about leave? Come well, back. But, I mean, I, I thought that was somewhat believable because there's, you don't know, you, you're overtaken by not understanding the situation and someone says shut the hatch and I don't there could be 12 people up there with guns I, why would you get out because they might all be there I mean I don't know but maybe hiding makes sense and I actually liked that Elijah's character then even upon hiding and being told to attack the attacker whatever the other guy doesn't do it he just stands there which again I think represented very well this sort of other well, form of masculinity okay. well, we'll you want to alright alright quarter okay. <laughs> worthless character that was all totally thrown away that could all just been cut Cut, cut, cut. That was all... You, you could have cut, like, 20 of the first 30 minutes of the film without losing anything at all. Anything. Except it would have held my interest more. Okay, great. Fake dad is there, and, like you said, there's this horror movie set up, and that's all fine. But don't do the, like, oh, the zipper is coming undone, and his head's turning when you're passed out. What does that add to it? It adds a supernatural element and there's no supernatural in it. I kind of liked it though, because it, because knowing it was a horror film, it kept I kept wondering how it was going to be scary, which direction of scary it was. And it kept changing its mind on how it was going to be scary. And I actually appreciated that. I liked that at first it was dad was the threat. Then dad's dead and they make a point to take him off, take his blood out and bring him back. And then it's like, oh no, he's still going to be the threat. And this is, yeah, some sort of supernatural thing. And then it feels it like it's going it. that way. I know, but I liked that. And then, oh wait now they're in the basement okay wait that's not the threat what's the i, I actually you, appreciated if you, that if you did that without the unzipper without the zipper undoing and the head turning and just with like you said with the clanging and the whatever then you have that nod without actually breaking reality maybe although i mean i thought those were things that could have happened right I thought those were supposed to be plausible things. I mean, I don't know the what happens. The head turn, maybe, possibly, except he's like two days in of rigor mortis and he's been embalmed and whatever. Maybe if it were fresh, right? You hear about bodies, gases start escaping and things can like, as muscles contract, people would sit up, but all that's been done. So, or that that's the one thing I'll take, is the head turning, he was drunk, maybe he did it in his sleep, or in his drunkenness. Okay, that would have been fine. But the zipper kept keep coming down. It doesn't... There's no... I, I, like, would, oh, he's still alive, but he's not. But it, it's... But there's nothing to I, it. I would see what you were saying. I would agree if that were not right offable. To me, it was. I thought... I, okay. I have backpacks that have done that. Okay. You zip it back up and it does it again. <laughs> I don't know why it happens. But I was willing to buy that as, as plausible. Uh, maybe you have a dead father. <laughs> Okay, those are and those are fairly trivial. Okay, now let's let's see if I, we can work through your argument. I didn't get any of that. I mean, I got a vague bit of of yeah, he's not hegemonic masculinity. Fake dad is, you know, as far as we know, he's a real dad. But but regardless, my first issue is we know nothing about Elijah, and so I do not care. Don't care. Don't care. Oh, you're a rich kid from Beverly Hills, and your daddy is left when you're five. Oh, fucking give me a break. Have we not heard that story? So so I'm going to say, I, I wondered, actually, in watching this film and, and feeling like it was hitting these themes, if you were going to despise them because they were being enacted by men. 
Because it was a story all about men. And I thought, is Mar- is this going to lose Marshall you know, without any sort of, like, is he not even going to pick up on these ideas because he's just going to write it off because it's men doing it? And I wonder, because I think back again to, like, Knives and Skin, I knew nothing about any of those characters and didn't care because I understood they were so more- simplistic and I knew very little about any of their history. And many of them were so stereotypically uninteresting also. And yet that was somehow okay because they were women? We, we knew more about protagonists of, we knew she's in the band, we know her, we actually know her mom. We know something about her. We know that there's dysfunction there. We know her dad's left. Uh, we know she's having problematic sexual interactions. We know she's an outcast. We know she, that she's been isolated from this community. I mean, over the course of a film, but we learned things about Elijah. No, we do not well. His story about Alton Wood lies. She's unreliable narrator. We, we literally know nothing about him. But he's a white man, so we're supposed to care. Please. He's a rich, het white man. He's not even poor. At least give me like, oh, I'm down on my luck. Dad left and I had a hard childhood. He recovered from his alcoholism, apparently, sort of, until the middle yeah, of the film. Great. Uh, right. With his however many million dollars in Beverly Hills. Crying in a fucking room. I mean, come on. It's like first world problem extraordinaire. It's like wealthy first world problem. Honestly, I feel like that level of criticism could be lobbed at probably a lot of lead characters in horror films that have been women where you would let it slide. So I'm not so sure that I'm willing to write him that. off as, as entirely vacant. So literally what we know is dad left when he was five. And I, I think what we knew was the version of masculinity that he put forth. I think that's the only thing that was consistent about his character throughout the entire film. And I think was noticeable from right at the beginning. It wasn't consistent. So that's the next step is, okay, so then if the progression... Because I was, what I would say is that we learned nothing about him as a character, and I, he didn't start somewhere and end anywhere that made any sense. I think we just had that critique about another film with a woman as a character of like that. There's no what what was that, that? might have been the wind. Might have been the wind. There's there yeah. There's no development in character. There's no arc. I think it was the wind. And so if there is an arc, it's he has gotten himself out of toxic masculinity. His dad writes a letter. He meets fake dad who who he resists still. Fake dad dies. Real dad pulls him back into the toxic masculinity, the hegemonic masculinity. And so by him coming to embody the toxic masculinity that he rejected, he was able to reestablish a bond with his father. Does, so he, what we, does, he, does he end up bonded? Because I thought by the end of the film, we were supposed to see the dad as just a terrible influence. Like, I thought that was the point. Who reached out? Because that's really important. That, so that's, again... That's the climax of the film is, oh, I, I touched no, dad, and that's no, okay. See, I, I agree because, with you. Because I went from, from not doing any of these things to being willing to beat somebody to death and stab somebody in the head... And I'm drinking again, and so now that I am being a masculine, I can pretend to share some a moment with my dad, and that is good? If that was the point, I would agree with you that that's totally misguided and, and bad and wrong. Because that wasn't the experience I had in watching it, I didn't feel that way. And I think even at the end, when Elijah says, why did you want me to be here? And then his dad just doesn't answer. I thought he died. I don't know what he did. But dad. it's like... 
Yeah, and then apparently he reaches out and whatever. I thought that I thought the experience that we were supposed to have as the audience was just to see in line with like the other guy's son. I mean, it can't be coincidence that he killed himself in the exact same way that Elijah tried to, right? That like we were supposed to see just the horrible negative influence that this kind of masculinity was having on his family. Because I thought that was the message so clearly. If the message, you know, I mean, that felt okay to me. If the message was what you're saying, oh yeah, you use these methods to to rebond with your father, that would be a terrible message. But I don't think their bonding was meant to be a good thing. I think it was meant to be like, when you try to get close to somebody like this, this is what it's going to do to you and everybody in your family. It's just a mess. But it's, everything's resolved. Dad's alive, he's alive, they're free, all the people are killed, mom's safe. I mean, kind of, except it's not, it's not because we weren't really put on the side of dad, right? Dad admits fully like that this whole thing, he's basically... He's the troublemaker with his friends. Like his friends don't even really deserve all of this, you know? So it's like, I didn't feel, oh, the team we're rooting for overcame the, all the obstacles. I felt like Elijah got himself cleaned up the mess that wasn't even his to clean up at the end of it. And I felt like it was a cautionary tale. He needs to get the heck out of there and not, not try to sort of reestablish any sort of anything that it was misguided to even go there and, and hope that he could get a connection with this person again. But he had a plethora, he had endless opportunities to just walk away. Never did. But so did the, he, movie, the idea was he should walk away. But he wasn't able to, well, I mean, I, I see what you're saying, because that's a valid point. Except he couldn't, when, I mean, once his mom was involved, I feel like then he felt like walking away wasn't an option. And I do think they did a pretty good job of getting him swept into this without him really making choices to sign up for it. So, like, he didn't try to hurt the guy. You know, when he's first hiding in the closet, he doesn't come out with a dumbbell and try to hurt him like he's supposed to. And he waits till dad, like, calls him out. And then he has, he's just fighting because the guy's standing there. Like, he has to fight to protect himself. And then that felt okay. Killing the guy, the whatever his name was, the friend person with the long hair, killing him seemed reasonable because he knew where his mom lived. And he said he was going to go track down his mom. And so that didn't feel like embodying the hegemonic masculinity. I mean, he, he took those routes to do it, but that felt like getting sucked in in a way he didn't want to. And so I felt like he never made a choice. If he had ever been like, hey, this is fun, or yes, I want to do this, or, you know? But it just always felt like he was reacting to a mess that somebody else was causing, and he didn't have another option out. So it just, it, the, the toxic nature of it, like I said, is what stood out to me. The fact that even though he's actively trying to resist it by just standing near this person and essentially trying to have a bond with his dad, he's, the bad thing he's doing is trying to be bonded to somebody like that because somebody like that is just going to bleed out and ruin the lives of people around them. But you're right, they could have hit that home more, because I think some of the things you're saying hold water. <sighs> There's just endless opportunities. Go get in the truck. No. I'm going to walk into the house and call the cops. Mom will be okay. She lives in Beverly Hills. You have millions of dollars. We've established that very clearly. You can afford whatever, spend however many thousands of dollars on a phone. Like, call the cops. They're going to believe you. You've done nothing wrong. Until you did, you've defended yourself. And it's just like, okay, if, if his obligation to his real father is what is propelling this, that begs the question for me of if what he needs to do is, is get resolution with his father, and he shows up, and this guy is a jerk, and attacks him, and dies... And then he, he, that, that sets him off. He drinks, he, he yells at his dad. He resolves his feelings 
And then those are opened back up, literally and figuratively, by finding the, the hidden room. What is that supposed to tell us? Why have him go through the entire process of meeting dad, him dying, him grieving, or at least starting the grieving process, and then finding another person who is his dad, but another person that he doesn't know. What is that supposed to tell us? That And, and then my second question is, I just want to get it out, I know that's a lot, is if supposedly there's this progression or this sequence of him resisting the active involvement, him being just sucked into this um, these problematic behaviors... You're right. He's passive in the uh, in the underground situation with his dad till he he breaks his fingers or whatever, and then, but then he is active in attacking the guy on the toilet uh, once he's been confronted, and does so in a totally gratuitous attack on his genitalia, and then in the third one he is overcome by by the a woman the prostitute. And then the guy is in a car wreck. A car wreck is horribly wounded. Then he's active again where he stabs him. Totally unnecessary. Like there is no, there's no pattern to that for me. There's no progression. There's no consistency in it. He's passive. He's active and, and, and brutally um, targeting masculine symbol, genitalia. And then he's, he's like, He's passive again and overcome, and then he's and then he goes and and stabs him when he's totally unnecessary. And I, I did think of a couple more throwaways. He calls mom. Mom's like, "I'll be there Friday." Totally throwaway. We don't need that. Mom doesn't ever show up. All these things are just left hanging. Okay, so what are my questions? My questions are: Why have one dad die? And there is some sort of doppelganger situation, right? Because that the guy, the dad, the fake dad who died is also the person whose son killed himself and did it in the same way that our protagonist, Parvel, what's his name, tried to do it, but did it unsuccessfully. And that guy ended up dying in front of Parvel after his son was killed. And so then, but these two end up surviving and... I really, my takeaway at the end of the film, which I really have a hard time seeing anything else, is they're now, like, reconnected. And I'd say that for specifically because Dad reaches out and touches him. That is the the climax of the film. And then what follows that scene is a flashback to Dad and Son on the beach having a good old happy time. So it's like... We have picked back up where you have left off, where we have left off. And then, and it's a triumphant, it's like musically presented and and through the way it's presented, it's like, here's this, here's the resolution. So I I don't understand. I don't have a rationale for why any of that happens. It seems very messy to me, the whole thing. So it's, it's really interesting to me that you ended it with that emotional takeaway, because that I think is the most compelling argument that you're making, that if that's... To me, it felt like the real emotional takeaway was supposed to be if Elijah was getting swept back in, because I was a little unsure who touched whose hand, and I did want a clearer rejection. Like, I wanted Dad to reach out and then Elijah to pull his hand away. Like, that's kind of what I was expecting, I guess. And that's not what I got. But if Dad reached out, and then, like you said, they showed Elijah and Dad this, like, sort of old memory, and it felt sad to me. It felt sad in this way that 
highlighted, I guess, like what Elijah was after, which, which fit with like the story that Elijah had just told that he'd, you know, practiced earlier on in the film. Right. Which was like, I, I kept wanting you to come back and mom had so many chances to be happy, but I kept chasing away all these other people because I just wanted you. And so there was this element of like futility in that, or like, it felt to me like Elijah was presenting it as a problem, not as a good thing. He was saying, you know, mom had all these chances to be happy and I chased them away. Like, if anything, it was like highlighting Elijah's pathology and that that pathology was meant to be what was raised up as problematic in the film, right? Like, again, like I would say this sentimental connection to somebody who's like that is just a problem. And I felt like the moral of the story was push them totally out of your lives. And that, so, you know, so Elijah should, right? I mean, in terms of giving that impact, I guess I... He, he never pushes them away. And I almost wonder if that in itself, like I'm willing to accept that as sort of a a further extension of the cautionary tale. Like it's sad because people don't want to do this. And like, it, it highlights the problem, right? It highlights the strength of that thread and how, even when clearly everything is lined up in this film to show you how terrible it is to be connected to that kind of person, Elijah still wants to be connected or sort of wanted to be connected. And that comes up throughout the film, right? He says with the fake dad, like, Oh, I was trying so hard to like you and maybe we'll be best friends. And he really wants that. And so it might be cleaner in terms of message if Elijah then pushed him away, because it would be like asserting this point that I'm at least trying to make, that the film was about shoving away that type of influence. But if you had at least felt like depressing, not, oh, look, it was supposed to be this heartwarming reunion, then I would say, okay, I think I can still work with this as as making the argument that I'm making, that like, even if Elijah's still connected, you're supposed to be depressed by his connection. It's like somebody going back to the boyfriend you can't stand or whatever, you're not, you're supposed to feel bad about it. And you're supposed to be like, oh my gosh, why is he doing that? And that is meant to be the feeling the audience had. And I had that feeling. But if you didn't, then that feels like a failure on its part, because you were paying attention. So your takeaway from that final scene was sorrowful. Yeah. They're playing together on the beach. He runs to his arms and they hug each other. And how is that? I don't understand how that's sorrowful. Because it was a sentiment that Elijah was chasing the whole time. And in answer... He got it. I see. I didn't think he did. And in in answer... Well, wait. Okay. (laughs) I'll say two things. The first, I'm going to say the second one first now. Um, He didn't... Because he never got a connection from either fake dad or real dad, right? And he even says to real dad, why did you want me to come here? And he doesn't even really get a... I mean, I guess real dad reaches out and touches his hand, but that's pretty weak in terms of the type of connection he's asking for. Um, and I'll also say at the beginning, when you ask, like, why have fake dad and then go through all that stuff and then have real dad show up? I think the fact that Elijah is connected to this idea of what a dad is, he doesn't even know this man enough to recognize him. Like, he has no idea who his father is. And like you said, that they were both, like, engaging in the same kinds of problematic behavior. The first guy killed his son the same way that Elijah's real dad almost killed his son. I mean... Maybe that's right. a stretch, but that was right. meant to be the point of the film. Right. And so the fact that he'll just take whoever happens to be there actually kind of fits that argument. He's again, he's chasing this idea. He's chasing that closing image of the film through the whole film. And I don't know. I mean, even if it sucks him in at the end, I think as long as we as the audience sit on the side of, oh, that's awful, that's awful and toxic and just needs to be like kept out of everybody's life, then that's okay. But if. But I, I don't think it's awful. They ended up with the money. None of the other bad people are after him. Mom's okay. I think if Elijah had just stayed home and not tried to get this terrible person back into his life and not been sentimentally connected to this person, he could have gone on living his life as he was, which was probably somewhat all right. I think the fact that he like had whatever dealt with this alcohol problem and seemed 
comfortable in that. And then he like, as soon as he's wrapped up in fake dad, I guess it was at the time's turmoil, he slides right back into that. And all of a sudden, all this, he's doing all this other stuff that he doesn't really want to do. He's trying to like assert himself as someone who doesn't do that at the beginning of the film. And he gets pulled in anyway. And it's just like, it's just like the tornado mess that he gets pulled into because he's around someone like that. And you get... He doesn't learn a lesson from it. He may not, but I thought we did. But we that's different that. if you didn't. Because, like I said, I, I, I thought it ended feeling sad. And if any... Sad for Elijah. Like, I wanted Elijah to pull away and just shove Dad away. And when he didn't, it was like, oh. If, if he had walked anywhere other than back to Dad... I was hoping, in line with you, I was hoping he was walking back to dad. I don't know why he was like there, but like he was close by and he was going to walk back and he was going to finally shove dad away. He, and he, he didn't. He walked back to someone to shove him away. Well, I mean, yeah. Or you think, or he, if he had gone back and said, you know what, I, I, I should have never come here. Oh, that, okay. I mean, that's what I was expecting. Like something along the lines of like making his final statement. I let him lay down because I thought he was tired. You know, the fact that he was, it took him a minute to get started. And then he led into his speech, which was clearly meant to be meaningful, right? Because he starts it earlier on with fake dad. And, and that's so bizarre to me because, yeah, it was like, I pushed all these people away. Now you can do what you're supposed to do, which is come back to be the father you never were. I don't think so, because if that was true, he wouldn't have said it in this way, like... I, I don't think he would have said it in a way to indicate, like, Mom could have been... She had so many chances to be happy. The fact that he says it that way makes it seem like he's admitting that it was a mistake. Like I said, because I left with the right level of depression, I'm, I was willing to say that any... The fact that Elijah didn't shove Dad away was meant to just further highlight for us the strength of that bond and the strength of that connection and the... The insidious ways, I guess I'll say, in which that kind of behavior can leak out. So our takeaway then from the film, or your takeaway then from the film was, he should not have gotten involved in this. Elijah, yeah. Elijah. And the argument was that the power of that idealism or that nostalgia is what kept him there and kept him obligated to do all of this. Yeah, and that if this hadn't been his father... And he hadn't had this whole image in his head of what that should have meant or whatever. He could have gone on living his separate life away from that influence, which would have been better for everybody. I mean, at least all of the characters who didn't have this problematic kind of masculinity swirling around them. I mean, <laughs> my, my like glib, which I know can be obnoxious, but my glib response to that is, yes, we all would have been better if we just never watched the movie. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> Because what we it, learned from the movie is that we shouldn't watch the movie. No, I thought it was I thought it was effective. I thought it made an argument and it did so effectively. I thought the argument really was that that sort of toxic, I, I guess, toxic masculinity. I feel like I'm not even, because I, I want to emphasize the toxic part even over the masculine part somewhat. I guess both. No, honestly, they were both there. But I feel like that was just put forth as problematic throughout the whole film. And that combined with this notion of the... Like a tornado, like, like the fact that it just, it sucks you in, that, that you can't even try to engage kindly or thoughtfully or positively with it a little bit because you just, you stand too close and suddenly you're, you're sucked right into it. I thought that was effective actually. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I thought the rest was sort of playful. Like the fact that it kept changing what kind of horror film it was going to be. I liked, I uh, thought that was it, fun. All that did for me was, was 
when you're trying to mix colors and you just end up with that like shitty brown gray <laughs> and there's just nothing to do to save it it's just a big it's just a mess and it's argument uh, 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 just a color that's unusable i will say this i would much rather see a movie that i resented and thought was garbage and that you enjoyed and i will advocate for and then talk about it than to watch a film that neither one of us could finish because it was so uninteresting. Oh, absolutely. I was interested the whole way, though. I thought it did a really good job. I'll, uh, who, who was the guy whose name who did Proxy? Parker? I, I was was there a Parker? Yeah. Uh, I kind of forgot about him. Zach Parker? That sounds right. I, keep, I, I always want to say Alex Garland, and that's not right. Zach Parker. Zach Parker. Okay. Yeah. So in similar to Proxy, which was also it upsets me so much that you would compare this. No, to I'm Zach not Parker. saying. I'm no. I'm not saying it was like the same as Proxy, but I'm saying that like it did something that Proxy did, which was constantly like lead you in one direction and then change its mind, sort of, and, and make you rethink what it was doing throughout. And I, I appreciated that. I liked Proxy that. Proxy like painted a stripe of red and then turned it, and then painted a stripe of blue and then turned it into purple this was just like <laughs> i'm gonna swirl all the colors together and now it's the shitty ground gray brown gray and uh having not seen proxy recently enough i'm not willing to like defend it i just remember loving that about proxy and also thinking it was a lot of work but loving it and feeling like proxy made arguments that were really I'm interesting so, so you brought that up his movie those movies are so fucking good i don't remember those that specifically either but I remember confidently how strongly I felt about Proxy and, and Scaling. Yeah. Um, and I'd kind of forgotten about those films for no apparent reason. They were great. They, yeah. I remember loving our discussion of Scaling from a hundred years ago. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. This is, so yeah, you should watch Zach Parker's Proxy and Scaling. I just... I mean, I think there, there, there are two sides to that, right? And I think the argument that you're making is that if you start a direction and then kind of change your mind, you're being ineffective. You're not accomplishing what you're trying to. Like, what's the point? That, that turnaround at least has to be useful. It has to be that actual shift that means something because otherwise, like, what are you doing? And that might be true. I mean, I think I can justify the two dads, actually, ideologically in this framework. I don't know. One of the things that I, I guess I liked in that way, but I'm questioning myself now that you're saying this, is the the coroner that it looked like things were going in sort of a romantic direction between them or it looked like she was interested and then it looked like he was and then the fact that it just didn't and that's not what she wanted out of that and like I that I appreciated I appreciated that things weren't just the stereotypical next step in a film okay so let me ask you this then how do we resolve that that culminating speech that Parvel gives real dad is basically what I wanted to come here and say to you was I was a bad person because I interfered with mom's ability to be happy by driving away any man she had a connection with. You're a bad person because you screwed over your friends after committing a crime that presumably was problematic kidnapping a woman kidnapping a person and then they 
I mean, to me, it's like, okay, so what did we learn? He was a shitty person, and now he's still a shitty person. He's a shittier person because he got rubbed into this, but it's not like he fell. It's not like he started as this good person and then... I would say dad was a bad person, and what's his name? Elijah's love for dad was the thing that made him be a bad person. But but we don't know that he's a good person. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I grant you the rest of your argument of, like, what we're supposed to see here is Parvel's basically fall from grace, and and he's escaped the trajectory of this uh, nostalgic, toxic masculinity. Um, And then he gets a letter from dad, and, and he comes back, and just being in that is like a vortex that pulls him back in. Don't we need something that establishes him as some sort of reasonable person? That's valid. I mean, I think all we have is his, he doesn't take the wine that first night. I think that's the only... That's a thin, thin thread. Oh, if you're going to poke fun at me for knives and skin, I'm going to give you a hard time about uh, I'm no longer an alcoholic. It's something. And I'm reading the Celestine Prophecy. It's the only other thing that he throws away. Did you ever read that? Mm-mm. Do we know what that's about? I don't know. Do we have any idea? Is that another throwaway thing that this could have been? <laughs> another another five minutes shorter. <laughs> I, I remember that book floating around in like the 90s. New Age Spirituality. The narrator's spiritual awakening as he goes through a transitional period of his life. Okay, so he tosses this away. So he's not going through a spiritual... Or he was until he until shows he... up at Dad's house. Okay. And and I would say with your phone okay. situation, the phone being, like, you know, thrown off the balcony and whatever. And you're right, it seemed like that was going to be the horror movie, like, and now you don't have a phone, but it wasn't. The thing that struck me about that was that the next scene, they're there cooking dinner, and here's Elijah trying to just, like, get along still and dad's just acting like a weirdo and it did stand out to me that dad's already just screwing everything up right he's already just destroying elijah's whatever and that started immediately so maybe it could have been done in a way that was more practical i mean the fact that it was a gold phone seemed kind of silly i didn't like the money aspect i think the only reason it made sense for them to have money was that i think the fact that dad supported them was helpful for the argument because dad was he was very much a supporter you could argue, well, he did all this stuff because he just needed to send the money to them. You know, and, and that was, I guess, kind of the argument in a way, although I feel like fortunately we were never put on dad's side in that. But, you know, well, I did all this, these bad things to steal that money so that you could have a good life and you and your mom could, you know, go live your life. And I think the message from that is like, yeah, you almost killed your kid, just like the other guy killed his kid. Just like, like that's being a supporter is not enough and giving them money and giving them a nice house like that's not going to accomplish what they want what they really want is just to hold your hand like you should have been a nice guy you should have been there you shouldn't have shoved this okay i I have another question that i can't believe i didn't ask earlier that is uh very much in the practical um kind of the phone camp which is why does dad have some mystery nuclear bomb shelter cavern built into the floor of his house where he can be conveniently locked away by his friends who are criminals. 
Maybe because if you're that kind of person, <laughs> you have to invest in crazy, weird resources to protect yourself from your own nonsense because you are a tornado of a wreck. So his plan was to protect himself by locking himself in the... I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, you're right. Anybody who's living a reasonable life, that would not be, like, a necessary adjunct to their house. So maybe we'll just say... I mean, I, I'm not... I, I think a lot of the critiques you're lobbing are actually fairly reasonable. That This doesn't hold together as well yeah, in some spaces if, as I'd like it to. Like, but I mean, I that might work. Hole up and protect myself. Presumably there would be like food and water and like communication equipment and weaponry and whatnot down there. It wouldn't just be like, maybe that's where they kidnapped the person and put her. Oh, maybe. Actually. So now they're in New Zealand and they kidnapped somebody. Okay. Okay. I hate that I just answered that question for, for them. Uh, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Do you like it a little better? No. <laughs> no, I don't. What's no, I don't. I didn't. I And I'm so... I'm, now I, I am more interested in why the the tone of it was so un, unacceptable for me. Because the horror comedy, I saw that somehow. I think when I was buying tickets, it was just a little at the top. You know, I didn't look at anything else, but it said horror comedy or something. And, you know, they reference Cooties. And Cooties, like, that is a horror comedy where... I love the dark comedy and horror comedy where things get absurd. But it was never... There was never any whimsy to any of it. And the, like... I just... The tone never felt... It never felt to me like they had a vision of what they were doing. Or if it did, it was like... Sometimes they did. And those were the mo- points in the movie that were, if super cliche, they were at least done well, was the like, oh, there's a sound and, and he's going to get up and go investigate. And that's creepy because there's a body in the house. But any of those interactions with dad, it was like, are we trying to be funny? Are we trying to be scary? Are we trying to be unsettling? It was never clear to me, like the swimming thing. Okay, they start out at the top of the dock. They look at each other. They're going to have this moment together of running off to the dock, of running off the dock and jumping in the water. And then they start running and then dad stops. So he goes on his own, which is, again, very conventional, metaphorical. That's fine. And then dad throws a rock at him while he's lying peacefully. And then he just looks at dad and then he goes underwater and he wakes up in the tub. And it's like, okay, was that supposed to be dad actually or fake dad trying to kill him? Was it supposed to be, um, and so he's supposed to be scared, but he's he's ignoring it to laugh it off. Is he now scared of that? And that was just like throughout. I just had no clear idea of of what they were. And music never gave me a, a guide of, is this supposed to be silly? Is this supposed to be accidental? Is this supposed to be like, it was threatening, but it's being dismissed as accidental because it wasn't actually effective in being threatening. I don't know exactly why, but the tone for me was a total, was total failure. I never, and even with the end of the film, I don't know if it's supposed to be tragic. I don't know if it's supposed to be heartwarming. I mean, those are two opposite poles. You have one reaction, I have another, and you know I hate this. I just read about this last episode of the directors who come in and oh, you should take away from it whatever you want to take away from the film. 
give me fuck oh, come on i i, I it, it's just that's just hello this is marshall i'm cutting this in because i didn't articulate this point as well as i think it deserves to be and so as i was processing i noticed that and what i want to say is that it bothers me so much when a writer or a director gives the well my work's open for your interpretation and you should get out of it what you get out of it and that all of those sorts of responses in interviews or wherever. And the reason that bothers me is, yeah, we know that. <laughs> that doesn't tell us anything. It's such a non-answer. It's such a bullshit answer. If you don't want to tell us, say, you know what, I, I think the work stands on its own. Or say, I think that everything you need to be able to figure out what my intentions were is in the film. Watch the film until you understand it. Or say... I intended to leave it ambiguous. Don't just give me this bullshit, oh, well, you can read into it whatever you want. Yeah, we know that. We watched it. We have, it. We have our own thoughts. We want to know what your thoughts are. That's the whole fucking point of asking the question. So give a real answer. If you don't want to tell us, fine, just don't tell us. But don't say, like, well, you should do whatever you want with it. Say, I had my intentions. Uh, and I would hope that's what you wanted to get out of it. If you have reason to believe there's other messages, there it is. But it's the non-answer that frustrates me. All right, back to the episode. And I'll say this, I've said it before, like, you like more open-ended movies. And for me, if it's deliberately an open-ended investigation of a situation or a character, and we know we're leaving and we're not really supposed to know what happens, I can I can totally get on board with that. Because then, yeah, we ask ourselves, well, what would I have done? And what does this mean? But when it's, when it's, it feels ambivalent rather than intentionally open-ended, that's, I think that's where my resentment comes in. And that's why I'm, I started out with like the, it's garbage. Like if I can't even figure out we can't even decide if this is supposed to be a triumph or a heartbreak or they've reconnected or he's pushing him away. Like, what am, why are we watching this? And particularly for me, and I see you nodding because I think you, that is probably where you can understand why it would, it would uh, bother me so much. Of like, it, it, of like, it doesn't feel intentional. It doesn't feel like they know what they're doing. Um, there was no consistency across anything, and it was not even, in, to, in my mind, there was nothing to, to convey to me that it was even intentionally ambiguous. All right, that's I, my piece. <laughs> I agree with a lot of what you're saying there, and I, that's why I'm disappointed that you didn't have a similar emotional trajectory that I did through the film, because it didn't, it didn't leave me feeling open, you know, sort of yeah. too open like that. I thought there was sort of a, a little bit of a an open question at the end with Elijah not shoving his dad away. And that at first I wanted him to shove him away. And then I was willing to accept that, especially with the closing scene of him longing after his father as a little bit of, like I said, a further lesson. But that lesson only works if you're emotionally solidly sitting in the place I was sitting in throughout the film. And I was. So it felt like a very cohesive... It felt like a cohesive so emotional film for me. But what what makes me inclined to like it less is certainly your reaction to it because I value your opinion. You were sitting right there. Like you 
I think these are messages that would resonate with you and the fact that they didn't and that you had such a drastically different experience makes me think that they apparently didn't pull it off as effectively as I thought they had because I, I felt like it really resonated, but I don't, I think it probably was too open-ended then if someone who, like I said, is very open to those arguments really just didn't have that, that experience sitting there, which in some ways might be similar. I keep wanting to draw this back to knives and skin, but similar to that in that, I mean, granted, we both knew what the arguments were, but I did not have an emotional experience right, in that yeah, film yeah. that was conducive to being receptive to those arguments. And I left kind of similar to how you are now, like disgruntled about just the experience of that. Like the experience of sitting there was totally ineffective for me. Yeah. And you, on the other hand, felt like the emotional experience, I think, worked for along in line with the themes of the film. And so um, I don't know, I guess it, it must be that must be the kind of tension that we're sitting in right now. Which makes me sad because I thought it was great. But if you thought it was great too, then I would be here arguing that it was great. The fact that you were sitting there very open to those exact same ideas and just couldn't stand it makes me think they didn't. I will say didn't. I went in open. I went in looking forward to it. I, I appreciate the contrast you're, you're offering to Knives and Skin and particular our different reactions to it because it does seem very parallel and parallel where, where, but we've switched places. Mirrored I don't know exactly what the, I think mirrored might be better, might be more accurate. Uh, I appreciate your, your calling me out on, well, just because it's men, does that make you less receptive and, and less willing to extend leniency with character development or accomplishment or, or how, how effective it was or, or, willingness to piece together bits that weren't clearly drawn out in focus. And I think that's a valid question. I do think it, do it begs the question, though, of is there not some additional obligation from someone who is a, a massively powerful and influential Hollywood insider to do something with a story that is, is somehow different than rich white guy has daddy issues with his rich white dad is that not a story that we've told and 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 then we have no no diversity we have no representation we have problematic if anything representation of 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 women of I, I, the swingers thing another total throwaway a ho hotel clerk who's interested in in breasts total throwaway like it was like we, we were trying to be we're, we're trying to like nod to the b movies but it, again that was never oh god just like if he were an unknown person and i'm really gonna put this on elijah because uh, so real dad is an actor who i recognize from something i didn't recognize anyone else i, I don't know but elijah's the name film and I, I, I guess I want to argue or I want to at least push back that if I, I probably am less willing to hear or give leniency to a, another like het white story I mean we're coming off the Oscars I think I, I literally listened to those stats today on Democracy Now of what do we have with zero women directors nominated for an Oscar 
No, what was the what was the joke? Apparently, Chris Rock and Steve Martin opened the Oscars with the joke of like. <laughs> oh man, there, there's so many uh, so many great directors nominated this year. I don't know, Chris. I I, I thought there was something missing uh, from the list this year. Vaginas? Yeah. yeah no. it does. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> sorry. Think how much the Oscars have changed in the past 92 years. Yeah, they've changed a lot, Steve. Yeah, they have. Uh, you know, in, back in 1929, there were no black acting nominees. No. And now in 2020, we got one. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing growth. Well, 92 years ago, we had zero women and zero people of color nominated. And 92 years later, we've accomplished such progress, we've got one. And that was the punchline. And it's like, okay, if, if you're trying to expand horror, Elijah, which you're openly stated, and you're you're opening that, trying to open that door to um, people who are who are excluded. What does excluded mean here? Because apparently, what excluded means is is not excluded by race or gender or class or sexuality. It is excluded because you're not a big name in Hollywood, but you are still a white upper-class man who's telling that story again? I'm just going to temper what you're saying a little bit and say that, okay. you know, Elijah okay. Elijah is a white man. And so if he's going to lead in this film and he wants, he's an actor and he wants to act in his film. So there he is. If he wants to do a film about, you know, he's, he's this film is, I think, I thought, a critique on masculinity. Mm-hmm. So if he's going to do a film that is critiquing a sort of standard form of masculinity and he's going to relate that to his dad, his dad's going to be a white man. I thought the rich component made sense because like I said, I thought the, what they were trying to draw with that was that dad was supporting him. I don't know that he still needed to be rich, like the gold phone. I'm not so sure that was necessary, but yeah, yeah. But I thought the fact that dad, the fact that dad, lived this chaos so that he could provide money and that he thought that that money was like he was doing his duty or something or that was somehow right or okay and that the film i thought contrasted that and said no like what elijah really wanted was you to be there and you know to have a a father in the sense not of this sort of 50s stereotypical like provider or whatever kind of father but a father who would actually be like emotionally connected and present and that's all elijah was pushing for throughout the film that that was Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't, to me, that's not as, that's not as bad as the picture you're painting. That, that may be okay on screen, but he did that by hiring and giving credibility and green lighting and giving his star power to people who look exactly like him. I mean, I don't know. We can look. I, there were some women names in the producer, executive producer credit. I think the costume designer might have been a, a gender ambiguous name. But, again, every actor who's not a white man is a throwaway. I mean, the, the Although, again, aren't they... are not presented as well either. But, but I say, aren't they meant to represent a problem, though? But, okay, great, so they represent a problem. It's still however many more of people who look exactly like that telling that same story in Hollywood who now get to go pitch another movie. I mean, you go back to Knives and Skin. Now, from that movie, you've got eight women of various, at least on screen, sexuality, definitely various ethnicity. And now they get to go and say, I've been in a Hollywood film. Let me do something else. Yeah, I see what you're saying. 
so I agree, okay, on screen, but if you are gonna do that, and that is a great interesting question, is if you are gonna do that, and, and you're gonna justify this by, by if, if we are going to justify this, who knows what their politics are, with it being supposedly a critique of hegemonic masculinity, in my mind, particularly with with what I've said about, we're unclear on the on the final moments of the film, what that's supposed to mean. We could go back to that, but I don't see a clear progression of him enacting or rejecting hegemonic masculinity uh, with the murders. If anything, he's devolved back into it. I, I guess maybe there is a progression. He has declined. He has gone from resisting it into this person's dead, dead person walking, and I'm going to stab him anyway because I'm protecting my mom or whatever that was about. There was something that felt to me almost final about that in a non-aggressive kind of way. And I, I'm not... It wasn't I'm not sure. It was Because it was I mean, just like, was... boom. Like, it's like you pushed a button and just ended it. Yeah. Which I was willing to take as not excessively violent. Like, the guy was dead anyway. He didn't kill him. He just, like, made it stop and walked away. So I, I didn't hate that, actually. I'm not saying I hated it. I'm just saying that, okay... If the arc is he's like declining or he's not declining, but he's returning back to the, I mean, okay, I, I will grant that. There does seem to be a trajectory there from I'm totally unwilling to fight back to I'll just knock this guy off because I might as well. Like you said it's like pushing a button, which is very neutral, very non-emotional. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm I'm just... Again, I don't know exactly where I'm at with with my willingness to reconsider because the experience of the movie was was so uh, unfortunate for me. But okay, if if he has declined or if he's returned to a, a masculinity that is violent and unemotional and protecting and damseling women and whatever else, and then then we should have a clarity of that scene at the end. I, the, and the big picture of that is if you're going to comment on white hegemonic masculinity in a genre that has a very prominent history of featuring and highlighting and emphasizing those characters, um, uh, can, can we get something? I just want to say, can we get something better than this? I did think that, you know, we probably were doing a Valentine's Day episode tomorrow we could have picked cooties that would have been fun it would have it would have yeah i you know i'm willing to really cede you most of what you're arguing in terms of it not being as clear or compelling an argument in that way as it could have been and and i believe i think you have a valid critique of saying i'm less likely to give any leniency to to uh white men characters that is a double standard on my part. I think for me it was just so emotionally effective that I was willing to let that, the sort of uncertainty that you're sitting with at the end, I was willing to let that be there because I was so solidly in what I felt like was the right emotional place and where I felt like the film was trying to get me. And, and um, your emotional place was he started decent and and ended up going through all this problematic behavior to end up 
still not having a connection with his dad, and that was sad, but he at least realized that was a futile... I don't know that he realized it was futile, but I think I did. You know, I felt like he... I didn't feel like he devolved totally back into the problematic masculinity. I think he got sucked into it, and he was sort of, even though he didn't want to, kind of unwillingly sort of doing it. And that he was just stuck with a mess at the end. Everything got worse for him. The best thing for his character was to just cut off all ties with this person, get away from it, just get away from that whole thing. And I don't, I didn't know if Elijah was going to do it or I'm not. I'm still going to go back to Well, that's a problem for me. At best, we don't know. At worst, he thinks he's reconnected with his dad. Right. He's touching, they're touching hands, and he's picking up where they left off when dad left after they had a great time right. on the beach. And like I said, because I was so solidly in the right emotional place, like I was so sure that this was a mess for Elijah and he needed to get away. When I wasn't sure if Elijah was going to, it just made me sad for Elijah, which put a new sort of layer on the argument because I was so certain that we were supposed to throughout the entire thing have been pushing dad away. Yeah. We took watched such different things. And I was like, great. Well, it's all resolved. All the bad guys, quote unquote, all the threats to them, bad or not, are now dead. John's safe. He's still got the money. Dad's not dead. He's not dead. So, so I think we've, I think we've hit this argument already. I mean, I think think we we should just call it, but, and say, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm drifting a little in your direction because it was ineffective. You, you, uh, I will, I also want to be sure that I'm acknowledging that you made an argument that I was totally unwilling to see at the beginning. (laughs) And I, I grant you that there was some sort of effort to take on various, take on masculinity. So let's grade it. (laughs) I'll go first. (laughs) And I know we're not going to agree this time and that's okay. I don't think we have to come to an agreement. (laughs) Awesome. I think I'm going to go with a B minus. Because I felt like it was really effective. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick, because our reactions were so different, I don't want to try to mesh this into some hodgepodge grade that just isn't reflective of either oh, of our experiences. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say B minus because I felt like, I felt like the issue it dealt with, to me, it dealt with it really effectively. I think a lot of those other things were sloppy. Like you said, there were, there were other sort of pieces floating around there that were not as effective. You're right. You know, the treatment of women was not... It didn't have to be the way it was. There, there wasn't an ideological purpose for having the women be prostitutes, and yet they were. There wasn't an ideological purpose for having the swingers be at the hotel, and yet they were. There was a lot of full frontal male nudity in that scene, which I thought you might appreciate, at least as an offset to the female sexuality. You know, we saw women with their tops off, but we saw a lot of penis right there. Um, that was nice, I guess. <laughs> I think it did an okay job with the argument it was trying to make, and I felt like that was a, a relevant and socially important argument. Well, I didn't think they made an argument. <laughs> I never cared. I never had any, didn't see any development as a character. I thought the representation was generally terrible in front of and behind the camera. Violence was gratuitous. Nudity was gratuitous. I would give it like a low F. I, I, like I said, I thought it was a, just a garbage film. I feel worse for having watched it. Even after we talked? Oh, yes, I still, I want to, uh, I feel like it was irresponsible in ways that the ambiguity with regard to the masculinity reminds me of the irresponsibility that I had 
concerns about with Joker of it being very, very easy to read as, as this, this kid who, who had problems, but was at least doing okay, got back in touch with being a real man and dad got him to be a real man and learn how to fight and be violent. And they were able to uh, reconnect over that experience and basically come out on top with with their relationship starting to be repaired at the expense of all these people, which I think is just a horrible, horrible lesson. Well, it would be if that's what it was about. (laughs) But that's clearly not what it was about. Uh, And that's where we stand. That's where we stand. (laughs) Right. Okay. Well, all right. I'll grant it this. It has a... It's a movie that I at least cared enough to hate. <laughs> that, after what we've watched recently, I will say that's that, that, I don't, you know, I don't know. Some other time we can uh, debate whether or not that's better or worse. Let's see. What did we watch? Come to Daddy. <sighs> Thank you for listening. And horror films are our collective nightmares. Collective Nightmares podcast. My name is Marshall Smith, and uh, ah, shoot, never on the first try. Still, that's not a mug. That's like a fucking <laughs> gas station soda. <laughs> uh, vessel. You can still use it. I'll dump my raspberry tea into three normally sized mugs. If you would like to use this for something, beverage of your choice, non caffeinated.